Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yay! Dragon Talk! This is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, and you heard Shelly. No, no, no. you heard an audience member. Named Shelly Mazanoble. Oh. Say lots of fun things. Hi, we're so excited. Yes, yes we are. Got a great episode coming your way, including uh, some amazing... D&D players James Dibes and Grayson Schultz talking about their podcast, Dungeons and Diagnoses. Tons of fun things to unpack in that interview. Can't wait to tell you all about it. Yeah. There's lots of good stuff. There's tons. There is. Uh, it's it's going to be really Spoiler. eye-opening. It's yeah. basically Empathy the episode. Yes. Get ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am empathetic of you, Shelly, because you are learning how to DM Oh, I sure am, and I have a returning guest. Had so much fun talking to Derek from the How Not to DM podcast. Uh, Derek has rejoined, and we're going to chat about the top five ways to engage and immerse your players. I love a list, and Derek is really good at coming up with lists and also just really good advice. It works for BuzzFeed, and it works for Dragon Talk. Absolutely. Let's give a listen to Derek. All right, welcome to How to DM. I am here with a returning guest, Derek, the host and producer of How Not to DM. Um, we had so much fun last time, and uh, I I love a good list. I love a top five, and you were very generous to come up with some more topics. So welcome back, Derek. Thank you so much for having me, Shelley. It is great to be back. I also don't know if, if I referred to you um, as the Terry gross of trpgs the last time but i saw that in your bio and it was just the greatest thing ever and after talking to you i realized yes it's very apt well i mean it's an aspirational statement um certainly but i do i do hope to get there someday you know to be as notorious as she is that would be a dream come true yeah yep you gotta put it out to the universe so uh, we're back with another really fun topic and another top five list. And today we're going to talk about ways to engage and immerse your players. So o- always good information for any dungeon master at any experience level. I feel like this is definitely one that those newer DMs have a little bit of uh, stage fright when it comes to how to engage and immerse your players. Because if we don't have the confidence in our DMing, what do we do? <laughs> Yeah, it comes up a lot. Uh, it's it's kind of like top three questions I feel like people ask, and there are a lot of different pieces and parts of it. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll talk about a few of my favorite ways today. Uh, I'm excited to hear some of your advice too, Shelly, uh, since you have a lot of experience with the younger crowd, you know, DMing Getting with kids there. and stuff. I think uh, I think that'll be some interesting perspective too. I do have, I yes, with those younger ones, I do. And mostly it's all stuff, honestly, that I've learned from this segment. So, well, let's get, let's jump in. Let's say, uh, let's get to the first one here. You are suggesting make sure everyone has a role in the story. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is a big one. And I feel like uh, it's, it's kind of the, the one I wanted to start with because it, it, it's kind of one of those things that seems obvious uh, at first blush, but the more you think about it, the more 
layers there are in ways to help everyone have a role. So uh, the first thing I think that's most important is to help tie in everybody's backstories in some way, shape, or form into the story that you are telling. And that immediately gives them something to latch on to and some context for uh, the story and a way for them to feel like they're actually experiencing um, these things and, uh, and kind of feel grounded. So yeah, I think tying in backstories is a big one. And the good news is you don't have to have the player's whole backstory at the start of your game. Players oftentimes are going to come to you with ideas after one session, after five sessions, after 20 sessions and say, hey, what if I had this as part of my backstory? What if this happened? Um, or you can proactively kind of do that stuff. Hey, would you be interested in having a tie to this ancient keep? Or, you know, maybe your family line goes um, along with this thing we're exploring. And uh, I think kind of that collaborative um, effort to tie your character's or your, your um, players' characters into the story that you're all telling together is um, something that really helps them focus and uh, feel like it is something that they're getting a lot of enjoyment out of. Yes. And, like, you know, who doesn't love to see, like, part of their backstory become, like, part of the story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, giving if they have specific things they're looking for or people they're looking for or or whatever it might be, there's always ways to kind of um, tie in what the players are interested in doing into what everybody is doing. And that way, each of your players individually has stuff they're looking forward to or excited about when they come to the table each week. Great advice. All right. Yeah, uh, part of that is asking your players what they're interested in doing. Like I said, oftentimes you'll have players come to you and say, I really like these things that we've done. Can we do more of them or something like that? Uh, so they may come to you or like I said, you can kind of proactively reach out to them and say, uh, what parts of the campaign are you enjoying? What parts uh, haven't been so fun and figure out what they're really interested in doing and kind of give them more of that, but work it into uh, their backstories or, uh, you know, current campaigns, the current goals that they have. All right. And it's not, it's not that hard to do. Mm -mm. All right. Yeah. If anything, it makes your prep easier because you're like, okay, I can yeah. narrow my focus to these um, specific things my players are interested in. And uh, we'll kind of talk a little bit later about making sure that everybody gets their own chance to shine. Um, so yeah. that'll be kind of another point. But I think it, it uh, is all kind of part of that. Uh, and also, as a dungeon master, it gives you some plot hooks that you don't have to yes. think about. So yes. win-win for everyone. Um, and speaking of of helping to uh, create the story, but also you're suggesting help participate in the world building. Let players yeah. let players in on that too. Yeah, uh, this is something that I didn't hear until I'd kind of started um, running games in. I guess you you could call them homebrew slash Forgotten Realms ish worlds. You know, I've taken the Forgotten Realms and added a bunch of my own stuff in, like people uh, like people do, right? Yeah. So. Uh, letting your players participate in the world building with you gives them investment in the story because it's stuff that they are they are creating, and uh, you know they have a say in the place that you're all playing together. So uh, one thing I really like is for them to fill in gaps of their character history. Um, and like I said, this is something you can prompt them with, like, "Hey, would you be interested in 
being tied with this mage's guild or do you want to you know have ties with some military commander or something like that um and also i think that uh proactively even doing that at the table um can can be an interesting uh experiment you know you might come to a town and you might say okay uh what's in this town you know and and who lives in this town or what is this town uh, what's kind of like the the main thing that people in this town do for work? That kind of thing. Uh, another thing I've enjoyed is um, when we're in places that are tied with characters to kind of ask them more specific questions. Like for instance, I had a a, a player who lived or was from the city of Neverwinter, and when we were back there, I said, where, "Where? What did you do with your parents when you were growing up here?" You know. Oh, that's cool. And then we could kind of do like these cutscene flashbacks. Like you remember walking along the river and eating this food that is only made in Neverwinter. And, you know, you're like holding your mom's hand and skipping along and the sun is shining down and kind of giving, um, making these cool flashback scenes uh, that, that have to do with what they're currently doing today. Uh, and yeah, just kind of giving them the option like, Hey, you know, what did your character used to do here? Or, who who's in town that you want to go talk to or who's in town that you don't want to talk to, you know, that might be a rival or a, an enemy from the past. Uh, and it, and it, again, it kind of gives you those plot hooks to seed in to uh, the game in real time. I think that's really cool because I guess, uh, I think there's a perception that that's wholly in the DMs court is like yeah. the world like and players don't have any agency about any part of that, but mm-hmm. letting them in on, on aspects of, you know, like describe the town that you're from or like you're saying, like, what, what's he, we walk in, you know, you enter this town, what's here? Do you give them a heads up in advance? Like, hey, we're all going to be part of this world building just so like they're not caught off guard. Like, uh, I wasn't prepared to identify what's in a town right now. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, for the example I gave where my player uh, was from Neverwinter, uh, as we were returning to the city for kind of a, a story arc, I kind of gave him a heads up and I said, hey, we're going back to Neverwinter. So kind of think of things that like would have happened to your character while they were there growing up. And that way, yeah, he wasn't too caught off guard with like me saying, okay, what about this? What about that? Uh, you know, and he actually proactively came to me and said, all right, I have this, uh, I have this rival who I grew up with and who went to school with me, my family lost all their wealth. His family kind of stole it from me. And I was like, perfect. You know, this is going to lead to a lot of fun conflict, a lot of fun role play. Uh, And, you know, the whole party kind of gets behind it too. They're like, well, you can't talk to our friend like that, you know, and everyone's getting behind um, the one player who's got this rival. And, you know, it kind of just adds to the the fun um, of, of uh, the conflict at the table. That's super cool. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing I've heard is people playing mini games before they even start the campaign. Uh, I haven't done this personally, but I've heard people say, all right, we're going to just create this world together. Now they play games like microscope or, or other things like that. And it kind of makes them uh, decide all different parts of the world together. And then everyone feels like they had a hand in creating the, the place that you're all going to be playing together. So again, I haven't tried that before, but all the people I've talked to who have done it have loved it and their players have really loved it too. Really cool idea. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Should we move on to number three? Let's. I love I love this one. Set the scene, create some atmosphere. I feel like people are getting more and more into this. this I think they are too. Thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially as technology 
is getting better and better and there's more and more stuff at your fingertips. Uh, I've talked to people who started playing, I'm not going to say way back in the day, but started playing, you know, in the seventies or eighties. And some of them said like, yeah, we had a a tape deck, we had a boom box and I had just like the the tape deck of like the dark crystal soundtrack or whatever. And we would just play it. And then we'd flip the tape and then we'd play the other side. And then that's just what was playing in the background, you know, um, to kind of, to kind of set the scene. But nowadays you can Google, you know, soundscape, ambience, tabletop sounds, and there's just so many options at your fingertips on uh, stuff to use. Uh, I'm kind of partial to tabletop audio. Uh, One of my guests from this last season, Tim Roven, he he's kind of the creator of that. And it's got 10 minute looping tracks that you can just, click on and let play in the background that kind of set the scene for where you are. So, and YouTube has a ton of stuff on there. You know, there's just so many ways to kind of find interesting music to play or um, kind of soundscapes to play to help immerse your players. And a lot of these things uh, integrate with virtual tabletops as well. So if you're playing in person or if you're playing online, you can give everyone the experience uh, that they are in this place experiencing these things real time. Yeah, and like sound is great, but like you know, you can also engage all of the senses. You could like mm-hmm. with the with foods. Um, if you're at, at the Witchlight Carnival, for instance, like why not you know create some or cre- cook up some kettle corn and some oh, cotton candy man. or you know like um, cantrip candles. They're uh, an mm-hmm. amazing uh, resource for all of your fragrant needs. But they, you know, if you want. To smell the Feywild, there's a scent out there for that. If you just want to be in like a dungeon, there's a scent out there for that. So, and I love like anything tangible when a a dungeon master describes not just describes a prop or something that we're looking for, but it could actually like put that in your hand. It's amazing. It's amazing to see. Yeah, uh, for instance, people who want to play like gambling games at the tavern, you like actually distribute coins for them to bet with or something like that. Uh, But yeah, that's such a good idea about the carnival. Uh, I love a good fair or carnival. And like you said, smelling all the fried foods and stuff while you're walking around. There's nothing like it. Uh, And uh, that that is a really fun idea, too. We did uh, we did a big roast dinner um, a while back uh, for an in-person game you know, um, kind of tavern-like foods. And it was a lot of fun uh, to, to do that. So yeah, it, it's, uh, I think sounds are, are a big part of it, but, you know, get creative. And there's lots of different ways to kind of um, feed all of the different senses. Yeah. Like we always say, like, you know, it's theater of the mind and all, but it doesn't all have to be. Like you can mm-hmm. actually, you know, do some cool real world uh, things that are fully immersive. So I, I love this one. Yeah. Uh, another part of this, I think, is um, part of setting the scene is is um, the way you are talking and describing things. I think there's a lot of value in describing sensory inputs that the players might be getting um, for the places they're in, describing the, the deep, dark uh, cavern, describing the dusty desert, um, the loud tavern, the large, um, you know, really oddly quiet temple they're entering, uh, any kind of way to kind of uh, make them imagine uh, what their character is experiencing can really help. I think some people do fall in the trap of being too descriptive. You know, if you write an essay um, telling them about the town they're about to enter or whatever, uh, people can get bored. They might start looking at their phones or whatever. But if you can kind of get like two to three sentence snippets about 
um, places they might go and, and kind of describing it to them, uh, it can really help. Something I love um, is from Jeff Kanata, who is the DM of uh, the Dungeon Run. He yeah. always sets the new scene with the smell. Ah. Uh, as the player, they kind of like go through go. portals and stuff a lot. But when when they enter a new place, he says the first thing you notice is the smell, and he kind of starts from there and then describes the rest of what they're experiencing. And I love that. Yeah, that's a great idea too. Um. All right. Well, number four. This is a good one. Keep your game varied. Why is this yeah. important? So, uh. <laughs> This is something that can be easy to fall into when your uh, players are all in one place for a long period of time in game. Uh, I mentioned the city uh, of Neverwinter and my players spend a big chunk of this kind of last story arc there. And it kind of became a challenge to give them something new and different and interesting to do while they were going around trying to accomplish their goals. Um, And so I think there's a lot to be said for mixing the three different aspects of the game the role play, the exploration, and the combat, and trying to mix in a little bit of each of those each session if you can. Um, giving them new things to explore, new people to talk to, uh, and you know if your group really likes combat, then giving them new ways to challenge themselves and to use their cool new abilities as they level up, yes. right? And their and their magic items and stuff. Um, so yeah, try try not to get stuck in ruts. Um, you know, you there are times where you're players are traveling a long distance and it could be easy to just like get into a slog of, all right, you're, you're traveling down the path and, you know, roll a dice to see what your random encounter is and stuff. But I think there's a, there's a much um, better way to go about it and being, being intentional about what they're experiencing um, to make sure that there's variation and they're not getting too bored. Okay. Yeah. So Yeah, people, places, things. Uh, I think it's important to kind of try to introduce new people, places, and things each session to try to get them to do or try to get them to be exploring and role-playing with with new people each session. And um, that will that will keep them interested. Uh, it, it's kind of the fun part is, is discovering new things and, and new places. It's fun to go back to the NPC you remember from five sessions ago, but... It's also fun to find new friends or new enemies uh, that you're throwing at them. So definitely. Yeah. Um, all right, that brings us to number five, and I think this is a very, very important one. Uh, but give each player the spotlight. That's what we love about D and D. Everybody has a role to play, and everybody gets a chance to be the hero and sometimes to assist the hero. And it's fun either way. Yeah, my. Friend Josie, the DM of Short Quest Long Rest, talked about this uh, last year to me, and it really changed the way I thought about the encounters I was designing, the stuff I was putting my party through. Um, and she she really was kind of talking specifically about combat, about giving each of the players something that their character is good at to do during that combat. And I think that's a big part of um, what makes combat interesting. But In general, you know, looking at the game holistically, uh, all of the different characters you've got, the different players that are playing, number one, we've talked about it, are all interested in specific things. They could be different. They could be the same. Uh, And then their characters are good at specific things as well. And it's everyone who's playing D&D is playing because they want to feel good at those things that their character is good at, right? You know, uh, your, your character is playing a bard, 
uh, your player is is playing a bard and they're probably going to want to be charismatic and be good at the kind of charismatic things. Uh, so giving them a chance to use those abilities um, to uh, benefit the party is is really fun. And it's, you know, part of why they're playing that character. Uh, someone who built this really complex fighter who's got a bunch of uh, maneuvers they can do or, you know, whatever that might be. Um, they really excel in the kind of more crunchy combat scenarios and you want to make sure that you're giving them a challenge as well. So it, it, it's really just looking at the players that you've got, looking at their characters and thinking about what each of them is going to enjoy and trying to give them chances to do that. Uh, but again, this ties back to making sure everyone has a role in the story uh, in that it's a great idea to ask them what they're interested in doing and then give them chances to do that at the table and be the hero and at, uh, in the moment. Yeah, you talked a little bit uh, at first about the younger audience and how this one's yeah. really important, I think, for them. They obviously need to feel empowered and what eight-year-old doesn't want to feel like a hero, you know, once in yeah. a while. But I I was finding in the, the games I was playing with the kids is that uh, my son in particular would get bored if we weren't, you know, if he wasn't being actively engaged in like mm -hmm. some kind of a combat situation. And so um, we kept, I kept trying to find things for him to do. Um, and he did enjoy the spotlight. So like if he was like, his brain was wandering off somewhere, I would, you know, invent some goblin to like come up to him and like, you know, poke him in the back and be like, Hey, Hey, where are you going, mister? What are you doing? Like what? And just, and then like he now had, a role of you know befriending this goblin or or convincing this goblin to actually help the party or something. Um, so e even if it's not like a dazzling you know coup de gras or something, like you right. still he he realized like oh okay this goblin has taken to me so now I'm the one who has to be like this guy's keeper. Okay, but it but then it brought him back into the game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. Um... The, you know, the differences between playing with younger kids and playing with adults, uh, sometimes they're big differences and sometimes they're not so big, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, there are definitely times where you, uh, we kind of talked about this last time, but you're looking across the table and you can tell, okay, that person is not engaged right now. Yep. What, can I, what can I make up here on the spot that's going to kind of use their abilities or um, uh, engage them in something else uh, that will um, be interesting and fun? for them. So yeah, yeah I think sharing, uh, sharing the spotlight is, is tricky and uh, it is a balance. It's going to take some careful planning on your part, but also it's going to take some quick thinking on your feet in the moment to kind of figure out a good way to, to make it happen. How do you, cause we don't want to make it feel like you're getting called on in class and you weren't paying attention. True. So how True. do you like bring that player slowly back into engagement without making them feel like, oh, where are we again? <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, uh, I feel like, <laughs> I guess, knowing that you're playing D&D, &D, hopefully that means that you're willing to engage at whatever point. So yes. I'm not saying it's it's their fault for feeling called out if, if it happens. Um, but I, I think uh, something that I like to do is if it's a, a role play bit, 
uh, and I'm playing some NPCs, I may like direct a question at them specifically okay. um, that, that has to do with their appearance or with whatever is happening in the moment that kind of might help re-engage them. Uh, alternately, I may like look at them and say, what are you doing while this conversation is happening? You know, there's like maybe for my wife who likes, uh, who's playing a wizard, there's a, a whole bookshelf behind you of a lot of interesting books. Do you want to go check out that while these people are talking? And you kind of give them something to go look at or explore oh, um, nice. in the moment. Uh, that way it's it's not so much like, well, what are you doing? You know, like, what do you think about this? You weren't paying attention. Gotcha. It's more like, hey, there's this if you want. But if not, if you want to like stand here and keep listening to this conversation and chime in, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like that's kind of the method I would go for. Yeah. I mean, there's not like a wrong answer. Like, and we're right. all going to laugh at you because you said it, the answer wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah. if, if that happens, you're in the wrong group. So don't True. do that. So yeah, uh, bottom line, it's going to take some balancing. It's going to take quick thinking. Um, but you can help all of your players feel the spotlight. And this can be, what you know, one player might get the spotlight a lot in a specific session. But so long as you're kind of moving the spotlight around session to session, that that I think can can work very well. I think that this is all excellent advice. Uh, I'm sure you have plenty of ideas on how to engage and immerse players. And uh, boiling it down to the top five was probably no easy feat. But I appreciate that you did it. And you did it so eloquently. Thanks, Shelley. If anybody can think of more interesting ways, then tweet at us and use the hashtag Dragon Talk and we'll chat about them. Let's do it. And, and, you know... uh, in the meantime, also, where can people find out more about you and your awesome How Not to DM podcast, which is a wealth of information and a great source for uh, DMs of all experience levels? Yeah, so How Not to DM can be found on probably whatever podcast platform you're listening to this show right now. So once you're done here, you can go search How Not to DM and you can follow, subscribe, uh, listen to some of my more recent episodes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my tag is at HN, the number two DM. So that's five characters, HN two DM. And then my link tree, which has linked to most of my other social platforms, uh, a bunch of the other uh, podcasting platforms I post stuff on, some of my other guest spots, that kind of thing. Uh, it is link tree slash HN, the number two DM. So same as my uh, Twitter. Awesome. So yeah, that's where you can find uh, about me. Uh, yeah, mo- uh, a couple of recent guests I've had, uh, Nathan from Reckless Attack Podcast. He's a really uh, fun DM who's got a lot of interesting ideas about marketing and, and about starting your own show. And then also recently I've had Kyle from the Bombarded Podcast. Nice. Their uh, first season has just finished up at this point. So that should be a really fun listen to kind of hear about how he got started, about some of his ideas about uh, gaming, but also about um, the show Bombarded. So if you haven't heard about that show, you should go check it out too. But yeah, that's about me. That's the last couple of guests I've had. Thanks so much for having me, Shelly. Thank you. Thank you for coming back. And who knows, maybe, maybe we'll get to hear from you again. Definitely. Definitely. Always willing. Thank you. Well, number six on that list is make sound effects with your mouth. Beep boop. Definitely. Yes. Uh, Whenever I play uh, uh, creatures who have fish-like parts or mind flayers, I always make sure I make sounds. Right. It brings me right in. Yeah. um, Also, you can't really unhear. 
hear Dan Dillon doing that horrible. <laughs> oh, God. What you're talking about. Ugh. It's so creepy. The worst. It reminds me of my Velociraptor. God, that was good too. I I can do it. Uh, I haven't done it enough though. I got to start bringing that into D&D more often. Go back to Chult. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I uh, think it's time for us to uh, go to our interview. Let's introduce these fun people. Let's now. go. Everyone, let's welcome James Dibiz and Grayson Schultz to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! Hey. Woohoo! Woo! A big Hello. audience today. Yes. We are uh, very excited for the two of you to be here. You're both uh, 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 players of Dungeons and Dragons and doing stuff for the Global Healthy Living Foundation. But yes. I'm not going to say it for you. James, wh- why don't you tell us uh, what this is all about? So uh, we are promoting our podcast called Dungeons and Diagnoses. And this is for the Glo- the Global Healthy Living Foundation's podcast portfolio. We have about 16 different shows that talk about multiple different types of conditions and people who live with ongoing circumstances or different lifestyles. And they're all very interesting to check out. But one thing that we try to cover with Dungeons and Diagnoses is exposure. And what we really want to talk about during that show is the overlap of the medical community and the gaming community, which I think does get overlooked a lot. What do you mean? The fact that there are a lot of of doctors and uh, folks who play Dungeons & Dragons? No. um, Actually, what I mean is I've noticed that there is a glaring oversight with just how many people who play tabletop games and video games, of course, but specifically tabletop games, and how many of them live with a condition like arthritis or psoriasis or chronic migraines or skin conditions or other things like that. And it's really awesome to see tabletop gaming come to the forefront and provide people with a means to not only engage in such a fantastical universe and enthrall themselves in characters that they uh, can dream up and play basically anything, but what tabletop gaming brings to the table that other games don't is accessibility. Mm. And for people who have medical conditions, it's very hard for them to, some of them might find it hard to play more physical games or more taxing games. Um, so Dungeons and Dragons is really this this wonderful blank slate catalyst that I saw as a device to raise awareness and to give people who live with conditions or have different lifestyles a megaphone to talk about themselves, not just directly, but through their characters as well, in a way where other people can get engaged with them too. And I proposed this about a year and a half ago to the organization I work for, the Global Healthy Living Foundation. We are an international nonprofit that helps raise awareness and address glaring issues in the medical infrastructure for people who have conditions like arthritis and psoriasis and migraines and what have you. And I said, you know, 
we could have a show that introduces people in the gaming community to this idea that, yeah, you know, it might not be talked about that much, but there are a lot of people who play, who live these lives that not a lot of people know about. And it does lead to a lot of misinformation Mm. and it does lead to a lot of misunderstanding and Dungeons and Diagnoses is something that I hope will help break through that barrier. That's wonderful. That's such a uh, important topic, um, and I just want to uh, throw it to Grayson there for a bit, since you are a player in this, right? And and uh, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit more personally about what James was talking about uh, more generally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons a little bit here and there over over the last couple of years really started to get into it right before the pandemic hit so that was fun um <laughs> good, but, timing. Yeah, <laughs> great, great timing it's a good good way to learn how to do gaming online and over zoom and google meet and all of that right yeah um but you know the the people that i was playing with uh right before the pandemic hit were other um, trans and queer folks, and some of them had, you know, health conditions. And it was an interesting thing to witness as somebody who, you know, I tend to be a little choosy in person with like how much I share about my health issues. I have no problem sharing online, but, um, and it was really interesting to see, you know, one of my friends that, that we were playing together who had mental health issues. And instead of creating a character that embraced that really created the opposite, you know, like was this big giant orc who, you know, had a giant battle ox and all these armaments and all that kind of stuff, right? A battle Uh, ox? Is that different than a battle axe? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You can ride the battle ox with wielding your battle axe. Exactly. I think it's a beefier weapon. (laughs) <laughs> definitely can definitely hold a lot more that's for sure mm-hmm. um but but to see folks kind of uh for lack of a better term rebuke and and really go as far opposite from their daily lives as they can to kind of get that escape um and for me like whenever i've done any D or anything like that um it, it was, you know, exploring what I wanted my chosen name to be, right? As I switched from from being more feminine to being more masculine and, you know, finding ways to explore myself. And so when James proposed this idea of Dungeons and Diagnoses, it's like, this is amazing, right? Because not only is this with an organization that I love and have worked a lot with over the last decade, but it's also with, you know, folks that I know and I'm friends with um, and uh, a gaming style that I really enjoy um, and the chance to get to play with, like, a new DM who is amazingly supportive and helpful um, and explore those parts of myself, right? Like, my gender identity, my, my different health conditions, but in a way that was like a communal support space without like the weird positivity that can be toxic sometimes in some of those spaces. Um, We often found ourselves like spending time after the game, sometimes two to three hours, um, those of us who were playing, just hanging out and talking and, you know, 
digging more into our characters and how we felt like they had uncovered some part of us, right? Um, and so I think that that was really special. And I hope that that's something that comes across for folks who get to listen to it. That's that's in that's really incredible to hear that you know how D and D has helped you personally. We you know we've heard some stories you know of people saying yes, it's you know a great tool for that self discovery and all. But to hear that you actually you know went into the game knowing. And, and having those great experiences is really powerful. And knowing also like what the goal of this, this game was or this group was, I'm wondering, James, if you can speak a little bit to how you create that safe space and also, Grayson, how you as a player, you know, make you and the rest of the players are, are making sure that this is an environment in which you all feel supported and, and to make, you know, these discoveries. Sure. Um, well, you know, there, there's a small degree of luck in this. And <laughs> what I mean by that is I was fortunate enough to grow up in a home that was accepting and a home that exposed me to these different lifestyles very early on. I definitely did not get that exposure during grade school or middle school or high school. The, the student body was very different but when I got to college, it was a very different atmosphere. I went to college uh, at Savannah College of Art and Design and graduated with a degree, an art degree in uh, interactive design and game development. And I always knew that gaming was my passion ever since I started to learn how to code. But Dungeons and Dragons really got me to start exploring with game design in general and mechanics therein you know, the math behind it, what level progression should bring to the table and stuff. But it brings this other aspect of how do you bring other people in and how do you make them enjoy what you're doing, but also feel safe enough to also explore because Dungeons and Dragons at its core is an improv game. Yes. And is one of the strongest game mechanics that isn't even a game mechanic. It's a theater mechanic. Mm -hmm. And with people who are not from the average lifestyle or are not from a closed-minded position, are going to want to express themselves in, personally, some of the most beautiful ways possible, you need to be able to let them do that. And how do you make a game that allows people to do what they want, but is still fair? Well, stop asking if it's fair and start asking if it's fun. Mm. We played with a mechanic, a homebrewed mechanic in Dungeons and Diagnoses that may look unappealing to most. And that was to better represent what healthcare is like for most people we got rid of healing magic and potions of healing almost altogether. Interesting. And yeah. the reason why we did that is because you can't just walk into a pharmacy and get a potion of healing and rid yourself of what ails you. You know, if we could do that, then Walgreens would be a conglomerate. I mean, I think they already are. But what <laughs> I'm trying to say. get at is... <laughs> Big Pharma? You what? have people who live a life that 
can't be solved with a magical potion or a magical spell. And they do have to live with arthritis on a daily basis. It causes them pain. It causes them this silent suffering that is very hard to explain and even harder to empathize with. So my initiative with this was don't make it so easy to just undo what is done. Mm. Make it harder for people to heal and to rid themselves of the negative. And what this did was made the universe more dangerous, but it made it more empathetic because you don't want your friends to get hurt. You don't want to see them suffer. So when you do take that damage and you do get that poison status condition, all of a sudden, it's a really big deal. It's not something you can just throw away. And I wanted that to be conveyed through our podcast. I wanted that to be present so that we could have a discussion about what that's like and how people feel and what that makes you do. Because the response is just as important as the initial thoughts. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, Grayson, how did that interact when with you with you playing? Yeah, it was interesting because um, you know James and I hadn't really interacted before then, but yeah, you know, I know other folks over at uh, Global Healthy Living Foundation and um, knew one of the two other players, and so going into that space where you know I have played D and D. Um, was not by any means anywhere near like that person that can just like do all of the math on the top of my head and figure all that stuff out, right? Um, I'm still not that person. No, good. (laughs) Um, Well, not good, you know, whatever. Um, And then Jen, who they had never played D&D before, um, and then their partner, Ned, who has been playing D and D forever, just hadn't played, um, fifth edition. So I think we all had a lot of newness to learn in different ways. Um, and then to essentially, I I mean, I think James put it really well to essentially be able to improv a universe, you know, on top of us improving our characters, but, create this universe that is different and unique and more challenging um, was something that I think was really fun, um, but also was a challenge in and of itself because wanting to write, like figure out how do we stay true to when you're dealing with major fatigue or you're dealing with a PTSD episode, how do you react in those moments? Um, and so kind of getting back to what I was saying earlier, I think I think we were able to explore our own reactions to those things and our own symptoms while creating that very supportive, collaborative space for each other um, that really made us feel like a tiny family for a while. That's really cool. Yeah, that's I I'm really interested also if I'm wondering if if you can share a little bit about your character Grayson and a little bit about the backstory and even um 
if Jen and, and Ned are are comfortable, um, I mean, I'm sure this this is part of the podcast and all, but if we can talk a little bit about their characters as well, because um, I think that's obviously a really powerful part of, of what makes this podcast so special. Sure. Um, so I generally play paladins. I majored in religion in college. I'm just very nerdy for like systems of belief and how they impact, you know, other systems within, within our society. Um, and this was the first time that I played something other than that. Um, I played a wood elf, um, whose name was Elro here, who, as he was growing up, really felt very comfortable in nature, was always the person that like helped everybody, even if it wasn't necessarily something that he had direct experience with, you know, would try to be helpful and supportive. Um, But then also being out in nature helped him cope with having chronic pain and juvenile arthritis and find that space to kind of recenter himself. Um, And one of the difficult things for him was you know, was kind of always ambivalent about gender, but the day before they had to declare adulthood as like a society, um, like his cohort of fellow peers, right, woke up in a masculine body. And before that time had always been in a feminine body. And interesting. Cool. Um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting way to loop in the... Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um And even though it wasn't something that he had shared a ton of, right, of wanting to be more masculine, that had just kind of, I don't know, uh, created itself and brought itself into the universe. And because of the the beliefs of this particular society was really ostracized and went from being that person that other folks depended on and wanted to interact with. Um, to nobody wants to spend time with you. Um, And so Elro here decides to go out on his own to try to figure out, you know, what what to do with with all of his knowledge and skill and, um, you know, kind of took on this persona of, you know, if I'm the only one who knows what I need. Nobody else can like punish me for needing something that they can't provide or needing something they won't provide. Um, and did the lone wolf thing, uh, for a long time before running into, um, you know, the first episode of our podcast. That's amazing. I, I really, that's a really powerful story hook that you've got there. Thank you. Yeah. I love how much it mirrors, you know, adolescence and yeah. that kind of, you know, surprise uh, or, uh, you know, it being a, a an event that probably, you know, uh, the way you described Elro here as being like not really thinking too much about gender and, and where it, they would fall and then having the epiphany right at that moment before, that's such a dramatic, wonderful way to kind of think about, oh crap, I have to think about this now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I think too, right, it's, it's something that mirrors what a lot of youth are dealing with right now. Um, you know, a lot of folks are finally being able to be exposed to things like trans is a real thing or being non-binary is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
a lot of it is being learned in times of strife and struggle and how much the ostracization that can come with that affects how we then go throughout the world. Um, It's really easy to become very closed off and uh, very lone wolf-ish. What I love about both of what you have said so far is Dungeons & Dragons can often feel like an escape. Like we're we're just jumping into this fantasy because it's something to do on a Friday night and we get to hang out with our friends. And that's, you know, super valid and and an important aspect of of this game and this hobby. But I love that both of you and the the Dungeons and Diagnosis podcast as a whole is not just that escapism, right? It is how do we explore and create empathy for things that happen in our in our real world, right? And I love that you're not, you know, keeping it at hand's length, right? You're just like, let's let's investigate it and show how these issues can be uh, experienced for, you know, many of us who don't experience them. I just think that's really beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you know, we have two other players, uh, Jen and Ned, like uh, Grayson mentioned before. And... Ned, he's 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 a thoroughbred, you know. He's he's played D and D before. He made a uh, orc, and I'm sorry, he made a half orc, uh, and he was just a hoot and a half to play with. Um, uh, Jen, they made a druid monk, Asimar, and they really got a chance to explore that character. And one thing that uh, I really liked about uh, Takrin was that depending on how they were feeling that day, their name would change. So uh, Takrin was the, um, I believe it was the more feminine name and Allura was the more masculine name that was, that they personified and you know just as Grayson explained that he had self-discovery throughout playing the game Jen also had self-discovery through playing the game as well um and it took it it took the experience of getting to know themselves as a non-binary person to finally come out and say it and be non-binary out in public and when they announced that i think it was around episode 10 when they announced that it was kind of heartwarming for me because you know i've been playing DD since i was 19 years old i'm 32 now i've done game after game after game after game after one shot one shot one shot and none of those games have felt more meaningful or more purposeful than what we've done together through Dungeons and Diagnoses. And I mean, mind you, the credit goes to the players because they bring everything to the table. They make the adventure fun and they do everything like that. Spoken Um, like a true DM there. (laughs) (laughs) But in all honesty, you know, I have to thank them again for letting me be a part of it. Um, 
and and making it what it was. You know, when we started recruiting for Dungeons and Diagnoses, we built a web page on uh, Creaky Joints, which is an affiliate of GHLF. And that's sort of more of our community organ uh, uh, network hub. It's sort of like a community network hub where everybody participates and talks about the articles that are written by our wonderful editorial team. And so I made a web page and I put up a form and I said, hey, if you're interested in this idea, sign up. And I said to myself, okay, this is a shot in the dark, but if we get at least three people to sign up, we can do it. Any fewer, and we actually can't do it. We had exactly three people sign up, and that was Grayson, Jen, and Ned. And <laughs> um, it re- like 100% of everything I say when I say we couldn't have done it without them is true. Like we literally could not have done it without them. So uh, a lot of thanks goes to them, really. Yeah, it sounds like it was meant to be those three um, party members. Oh, yes, a lot of fun. um, So Grayson, you did not you did not know Jen and Ned prior to joining this group. I knew Jen a little bit. you know, they've done a lot with uh, Creaky Joints, the the hub that James just mentioned for, mm-hmm. for GHLF, um, and, and a lot of artwork, uh, very, very talented artists. Um, and, you know, we've, we've run into each other and, you know, Twitter chats and things like that, but we're particularly close for mm-hmm. no other reason than I have ADHD and I do 8 million things every day. <laughs> so um, that's on me probably, but um, to, to kind of jump in and spend more time with somebody that, um, you know, I always kind of like meant to spend more time with and talk more with. Um, and to get to know their partner at the same time was really fun, um, especially through this lens, right, of of Jen being completely new to D&D and Ned not having played 5th edition, um, being able to lend my very tiny amount of expertise in 5th edition as we went along. Um, and... Uh, you know, just that time that we would spend, like I said earlier, after wrapping up the actual game session and and hanging out. And um, we still, we have like a group chat that we named ourselves, uh, our characters' names, that we'll still send jokes and memes and stuff. Uh, Ned actually sent me a pretty good joke, and <laughs> I think it's probably a good thing to share it. Uh, what do you call a fish with no eyes? What? Ah, yeah. I've heard that one before. My, I, I my daughter did again, tell me that one, but I'd forgotten it. Then again, most dungeon masters, it's a requirement to have a glossary of dad jokes. So <laughs> that's a good one. I remember that one. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, with Jen being totally new to D&D and not necessarily knowing what the experience would be like for them. Um, and their journey, was it, is it, uh, was the self-discovery part surprising for them? Was it surprising for you, Grayson, or, or um, you, James, as well? 
I mean, I'll say that I don't think it was surprising to me. Like Jen and I had talked a couple of times about gender identity before. Uh, one of the 12 million things I do is is also doing sex ed focused on kind of like the chronic illness community. And so um, between that and being very openly trans, right? Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about gender before. And when we were talking about creating our character, um, you know, talking about them creating this non-binary character and switching up the names depending on how they were feeling and presenting that day um, was something that I thought was really, really cool at the beginning. Um, and and then I think when we got to, I know James said around episode 10 is when Jen shared with him, but I think it was about episode five or six that that Jen was like, hey, so... <laughs> What, do you think it'd be weird if I just started using they, them pronouns? <laughs> and I was like, no, of course not. Um, so it, it was really cool to see on the back end, Jen start that and gain confidence. And then Ned start to shift his language around Jen and using partner instead of gendered language. And, uh, and then to have that come into the game even more. Um, I think was something that was really, really fun. Oh yeah, no, it, it was it was a lot of fun to see that blossom forth in what we were doing. Um, and you know, what's funny is uh, you say back end, and it's kind of funny because um, you know the, the dungeon master has to hold some of his cards close to his chest sometimes. You know, uh, speak about myself in particular. I had planned everything that they had to do beforehand as every dungeon master does but i wasn't privy to that group conversation they were what they did on their app back end was just as secret to me as what i was doing was to them so that was new to me and so i wasn't really privy to it until about episode 10 and um it was really quite a special discovery. It, it's actually kind of funny that you say episode five or six though, Grayson, because um, in the middle of our season, we have episode five and a half, which we affectionately call the interview episode. And um, we we only have one of these interview episodes throughout the season. But if we do season two, we are definitely going to have try to have more. And we drop the dice for a moment and we talk heart to heart one-on-one -on -one with one another. And we do answer a few questions. We talk a lot more about what we do. Um, it, we as, don't play uh, as characters or as people. No, as people. Interesting. Um, so cool. we, we don't, we don't play the game, but um, it, it, we do tie in everything that we've experienced up to that point. And, you know, episode five is kind of a big deal because they have their first big boss fight sort of uh with the sawtooth clan and they rescue the npc named nylee uh who's just a hoot and a half I, I loved playing her uh she is a black dragonborn woman who emigrated to the kingdom of gaidea and really doesn't know the language really doesn't know like the social mannerisms or anything and she is an absolute fangirl for the ancient brass dragon that protects the kingdom mm -hmm. and um when she hears about the fact that the party has been tasked with finding out why 
Dridios, the dragon, is sick, she they, they can't get rid of her until she gets captured, and now they have to go save her. Um, so it's this wonderful dynamic that uh, we were able to utilize to kind of flesh out people's behaviors and, and whatnot through the podcast. So uh, just the whole thing was just a lot of fun. That is cool. I, I like that idea of having that kind of a behind the scenes, you know, I, I don't want to say mockumentary, but it has that style of like, oh, hey, let's just let's just talk to the people and and get their uh, stories and what what this uh, story that you're telling means to them. Um, but yeah, we focused a lot about um, uh, about gender, which is which is really interesting. But I also really want to make sure we talk a little bit more about the chronic illness and and disability community and how that is represented in here. Um, and you know, I I. Uh, I think this is a part of gaming that that I think could be highlighted more, as you said. Um, when we, uh, you know, I, one of my friends is Jennifer Kretschmer, who has made a big deal about uh, how disability is empowering for her when she plays the game and wants to make sure that the heroes and heroines that are being played are not always, you know, the the cookie cutter, uh, uh, you know, trying to be as strong as they can be, but how they how they still are heroes and heroines. Um, with disabilities and with the the chronic pain, like uh, Grace and your character Elro here has with the uh, arthritis, um, and I just think that's Dungeons and Dragons is this type of game that is we've said this before on the podcast. Like, this really does teach empathy passively, right? Like, you're you're able to put yourself in another character's shoes, and that right. character can have some of these 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 chronic illnesses and understand what it means to kind of you know. Walk a mile in those shoes uh, to, to make some metaphors there. So, uh, yeah, talk a little bit more about how uh, that system you, you talked about. How there's 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 no healing, but then also how each of these characters have uh, illnesses and 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 how that was an important part of this. Right. So, most dungeon masters will maybe maybe spend some time talking about what players experience and how that makes them feel and what they might be going through, you know, on an internal level. And it's kind of hard to do that because there's always that one player who just wants to get into the combat or just wants to do this or just wants to get to the next town or just wants to buy stuff. And then you have the other player who's like, oh, uh, let me be a stereotypical bard for a moment. And then you've got the other player. So, you know, there are characters who aren't interested in feelings. It's even harder to do that when you're live streaming, when, when you're on Zoom and you don't really have the people in the room portraying body language or reacting when things are said and you know that could supplement maybe a little bit for what we were trying to do but not entirely so what we really wanted to do was talk about how people were feeling and so when we started every day we said hey you know you wake up you're in the monastery how are you feeling like, how did you sleep last night? And you wouldn't think that these are really big deal questions if you're playing in a standard group. But for somebody who has arthritis, getting a good night's sleep could be everything. Hmm. 
for somebody who has like psoriasis or a skin condition, you know, sleeping on the right kind of bed is everything, you know, uh, traveling from one place to another. No, we're not just going to fast travel. We're going to talk about what it's like to walk for four hours when you might rely on a walking stick. Um, we're going to talk about what it's like to walk four miles or four hours when, you know, you have arthritis in your feet and bringing those elements to the foreground really helped develop empathy. And it really did help, uh, the players bond with one another, but I think it also made for a pretty unique show. Uh, if you listen to dungeons and diagnoses, you're not going to get your usual Dungeons and Dragons experience. This is going to be something a little bit more eye-opening, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and Grace, maybe you can talk a little bit more about uh, SJIA and what that is, and 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 how both you and Elro here uh, are are you know experience it. Yeah. Um, so SJIA is a subtype of juvenile arthritis um there's there's a number of different kinds but this is one of the more rare um iterations and uh it's it's systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis so idiopathic just means we don't know why it's happening (laughs) surprise (laughs) Um, a dragon did it (laughs) right i could have been cursed i could have (laughs) some sort of cursed object that i was born with i have no idea <laughs> I blame the hags or the fae in yes. some way. I must be. Absolutely. Or like the apothecary who fell asleep at his job. I don't mm. know. Uh, everything's a story. This Please. is like four hooks we just mentioned. <laughs> there we go. We've got season two, three, and four. Love <laughs> You're doing my job for me. You realize that, right? I love it. You're welcome. Um, but um, essentially, what it is, is there's an issue with your innate immune system. So you've got two parts of your immune system. There's the acquired, which is like when you get vaccines and your body develops responses. Um, And then innate is something on the genetic level. So there's something in my genes that went wrong, Um, which sounds like a creepy euphemism, but okay. Genes malfunction, is that what you're saying? Yeah, you know, it could happen. But uh, essentially what that leads to is not only, you know, pain in bones and joints, but this is systemic. So I get um, a rash that will pop up um, mainly on my torso, but often like upper chest and cheeks. Uh, It's like this horrible salmon color. Um, It itches. It's warm, but it can also, the, the arthritis, the, the inflammation especially can affect other things. So I've actually had the arthritis attack my eyes. Um, oh. I've had it attack my lungs. Um, I have had it attack, um, you know, different parts of my body. So, you know, my toes specifically, right? Like our are very painful at certain times of the day or certain times of year, um, those kinds of things. And then, of course, there's, you know, 
the the pain aspect on its own, but um, there's also a lot of post-traumatic stress that can come with um, a number of the medical conditions that we talk about on the podcast, um, whether that's from just dealing with, right, the stress and the pain and the frustration um, or the mental health challenges that come from it. It can also be from, you know, negative reactions that folks around us have. So if you go to a physician and you're like, hey, this hurts, and they're like, well, just don't use it, right? Like, hey, my left arm hurts. Okay, you have another arm. Like, those kinds of interactions or worse, right? Um, at testing, things like that can be very traumatic. And I don't think that we, as a society, right, like hold enough space for that trauma. Um, and so I think to be able to talk about not only, you know, the fatigue or the pain physically that some of the conditions that we talk about bring up, but to also talk about, right, like what that does to your mental health and how that um, can help you build walls uh, so you don't let other people in, or it can make it hard to communicate what you're going through to other people, um, not because you don't trust them innately, but because, you know, you've dealt with other situations in the past that are mirroring this, right? Um, And I know that Jen um, they have arthritis in their spine. And so talking Mm -hmm. a lot about, you know, as James mentioned, like if they had a horrible night's sleep, right, that's going to determine, um, essentially how their entire day is going to look and sometimes longer than that. Um, and, and Ned has skin conditions and arthritis in his feet. So very similarly, right when we're doing stuff like walking long distances and, and traveling for hours on like bluffs, you know, that affects you much more differently than it does, um, you know, somebody who doesn't deal with that. I do want to tie into what you just said, because uh, what Ned ended up making as a, um, as, as a half orc character, Grum, his name was, this was a character who grew up on a pirate ship ran by orcs. So if you could imagine the tribe of orcs lived mostly on the ocean, sailing in orcish ships. And as a half-orc, he was berated for that. But he also has these conditions. And he had to suffer the abuse of his peers on top of the pain and the suffering that came from his innate conditions. And he brings this to light in such an emotional way in the podcast. And, you know, I just want to thank him for that because it really was a good in-depth look into what life is like when you have a condition that you can't really see, you know, that this, this is stuff that it's very hard to empathize with because you can't see it. And you can see the effects on that just by what Grayson was saying. If you go to a doctor's office and they say, okay, we can't help you, or okay, you have another arm, that's as, as you know, we're laughing about it now, but it's not really that funny. And this is somebody's life that you're talking about, somebody who can't get care simply because a doctor can't acknowledge that they are suffering. 
And this is the purpose of Dungeons and Diagnoses. We're not just raising awareness to make you aware of something that exists. We're letting you know what it's like to have it so that when you are in a position where your behavior could affect somebody who's living with that, you can act a little differently. And this goes for friends. This goes for family. This goes for physicians. This goes for professionals. It even goes for dungeon masters, you know? Yeah. Take what people are feeling into account and use it, you know? And when somebody does need to speak up and somebody needs to talk to you about how they're feeling, listen, let them speak, and don't laugh about it. Make it something serious. And believe me, the dividends that come back to you if you act that way are more than you can even imagine. I've made such good friends out of Grayson, Jen, and Ned, and I have made such good friends out of the other co-workers at the Global Healthy Living Foundation. And like I've worked for other businesses before. I've worked for Inc. Magazine. I've worked for Grubhub. I've worked for um, you know, full beauty brands, uh, NARS Cosmetics. I've worked for the bigwigs before as a web developer. And being a web developer for GHLF has opened up so many more doors and so many more windows that it's it's just been very rewarding and and very enlightening too and i'm this is it's really the best job that i've had and um i've the people that i work with both employees and just the community are friend you know they're friends for life really yeah i think i mean obviously just hearing you talk about the experiences that you're having um through your game it uh, you can you, you fe- i can feel the bond that is there and i think that's one of the most powerful things that D can do is is to form those friendships i i no longer work with the people that were in my very first D game but they always will hold a very special place in my heart because uh, we had so many great adventures together and you know you don't you can't literally take a bullet for somebody in a game and not have that bleed into your real life. And, you know, I, I've always think about that person that literally saved my character's life and he didn't have to do it. So, um, I, I feel like I, I love what you're doing. I love that this, you know, is, is helping to raise awareness, to create empathy, to actually see and feel what it's like to live, um, with chronic illnesses and, and other disabilities, I I know some people who um you know friends of mine that have uh, chronic pain live with chronic pain every day and I know that there's a lot of emotions that come along with it like the stress and anxiety are higher there's definitely bouts of depression like you've mentioned frustration with anger you know not getting the proper care not feeling like you're being hurt or just being angry that this is happening to you and you know other people just seem to to go about their lives but I I I can only imagine that and hopefully this is happening for people who you know are are listening to the podcast or watching you that are suffering with these conditions that seeing that D&D can also just be an an outlet you know it can just also you know be a straight up escape it can also be a community you know that y- you can get together and just feel 
heard and, and seen. And I, I, I truly hope that that is um, part of, of what's, what your audience is, is seeing and feeling. And I like what you you said, Grayson, about it not having the trappings of um, religion, I guess I might say, or like self-help or that kind of toxic positivity. Um, You know, you have that support group, you have that community, but you really are, you know, rescuing people from uh, bad guys and, you know, having these great epic stories being told while having the support group has got to be wonderful. You're a hero. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And I think to um, kind of to to that point, um, you know, all three of us had rough days pain-wise or mental health-wise as we were playing. And so to be able to to talk about that, you know, both with James and then, you know, possibly after if if we were feeling good enough, right, to like stay on and chat after um, was something that was really helpful to help us be vulnerable and share, right? Like some of that stuff. Cause we don't, I, I think on average, we generally don't talk about, right? Like what it is like to, to be in the middle of a PTSD episode and have somebody try to talk to you and you're trying to figure out how to respond to that, right? Or um, when you have been like hiking or walking all day and you are just exhausted and like, how do you explain that to somebody that has been walking that same path with you, but doesn't have that experience, right? Um, And I think too, you know, during the time period we were recording, I also had um, top surgery. So like got my masculine chest, it cost a bunch of money. It's great. But (laughs) (laughs) most expensive thing I've ever done for myself. Uh, But, you know, I think for me, or like going through, that while knowing that, you know, obviously I had, you know, like the support of my partner and my close friends and stuff like that. But I also had this group to um, distract me on days where recovery was a little rougher or, you know, um, to remind me that we needed to stop and take a bio break so I could like stretch and move around or adjust my binder or whatever I needed to do. Um, I think there's something to be said for Audre Lorde's quote about, you know, there, there is no, or without community, there is no liberation, right? And, and playing with this group of folks was very liberating and I think forced each of us to do some self-care stuff that we may not have always been great at before. <laughs> and that's important, right? And it's because you were not... Obviously, you were not yourselves. You were these characters that you created. But it wasn't so far from the experience that you were having, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that was just a really important distinction. A lot of people might shy away from wanting to experience uh, this thing. And I I just, you know, very quickly, I don't want to make this about about me, but I did play as a blind character uh, in a a campaign. And it was really (laughs) eye-opening because it was such a... uh, limitation while also still having all those storytelling and uh you know heroic moments happening and i just encourage more people out there to um to try that i think it's really interesting it's like i we've said here a couple times like it just teaches an empathy and allows you to experience the world uh through um through the way that others do uh that might not have the same experiences that you have and you know as james has been pointing out like it just you 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 feel such a great uh, affinity for 
um, you know, all of humanity and the wide breadth and backgrounds that everyone has here. And I think, again, that's what D&D does really interestingly is bring people together who have different talents and different things uh, and, and try to accomplish a goal together. And uh, you and um, Dungeons and Diagnoses are making that happen. You know, it's interesting that you say that because there's something that I wanted to bring to light, and uh, I'm sure Grayson can talk about this too. And um, a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community were always aware that they were weren't always aware that they were perpetuating ableism or discrimination against those of a you know with disabilities. Uh, in everyday interactions. And um, you mentioned playing a character who's blind, right? Um, out of curiosity, did that character ever get any form of like magical item or something that gave them a form of sight later on in the campaign? No, and that was because I had spoken to a uh, blind D&D player uh, and did the research and really you know, wanted to make sure that I was not uh, supporting indirectly any ableism or things like that. And right, so, um, right. I think that's an important distinction to make. James. Yes, I, I did want to bring that up um, because uh, that's that's really good that that happened. Not just <laughs> you doing that and wanting to do that, but the dungeon master saying that and bringing that to light um, because... I've noticed that there are some D&D players who play characters who have a disability of some sort. Either you're an Aarakocra who has one wing and can't fly, or you're a character who is blind, but, oh, you're also psychic, so you can use ESP and kind of get a read around your surroundings. That's fine from a fun perspective. Right. But when it comes to promoting empathy and talking about real situations in real life, this is why I introduced the mechanic of there are no healing potions. Healing magic doesn't exist for this very reason. In real life, you can't just regrow your arm. In real life, you can't just magically get your sight back. Medical science only goes so far, but until we do that, if we do that, we have to understand that these are sensitive issues to those who live like that every day. And I'm very happy that you said what you said, Greg, and you experienced what you experienced and you played what you played because that's a great way to experience empathy. Um, yeah, there's no, to, there's no hand waving, there's no snapping your fingers right, and, and making right. it be cured or have that even like, I think the, uh, person that I talked to, his name is blind temple on, on, uh, Twitter had said like, please don't make that the overarching story like that. You're going to get your sight back at the end, because that is, as you said, just reinforcing that idea that that's, that's the, the ultimate goal. Uh, right. when that's unattainable, right? right. It, the ultimate goal should be telling a great story with your friends uh, and being heroes with the full individual characteristics that that your character was when you started. Right. And, you know, I, I can draw upon that a little bit more because um, in, uh, in episode 11, 
of our podcast, which, mind you, all of the episodes are up on Spotify now. So you could listen to the entire campaign if you wish. Um, so minor spoiler alert if you intend on doing that. Uh, fast forward like a minute, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, in episode 11, um, the characters travel to an abyssal plane. And as they do so, they go through a portal. And that portal forces all three of the characters into another body. So Elra here had the chance to play as Grum. Um, Grum had the chance to play as Takra Delura, and Takra Delura had the chance to play as Elra here. But they played those characters at those pivotal changing moments. So the uh, backstory part of Elra here waking up in a masculine body and having to go through their society in this form that wasn't accepted, that was something that Jen as a player got to do as well. And of course, yeah. Grayson had the chance to play as Grum on one of those orcish pirate ships suffering from the ostracization and abuse from the crewmates and it was actually that day that grum ended up uh vanquishing the orcish captain and taking hold of his very own ship through that right of succession so that's fascinating. those yeah mm -hmm. those forms of um you know empathetical role play really do heighten the fact of basically any campaign you know you give you give a trusted player i should preface a trusted player the chance to play as someone else's character for a few minutes it really does strengthen the bond and and get helps them to get to know that that person not just that character yeah and i think too to add to that i think one of the most powerful things about that episode that experience was that we didn't know that was coming. Um, and so what happened was, you know, James is describing what Jen is going through of waking up, like, in this, like, little wood elf society. And, like, you know, as as James continues talking and describing the experience, I'm like, wait, is it, this is my backstory. What's happening? <laughs> right? And And I think it was like not having a heads up about that actually made it more powerful and impactful because it was as though we were finding ourselves in those positions instead of like, hey, plan for some weirdness, right? Like, I mean, of course you you want to not know what to expect anyway. I think that's part of what makes good DMs good DMs is being able to pull cool stuff like that out of their back pocket, um, which James is always great at doing. But... Oh my gosh. I will say though, I was so scared to do that yeah. <laughs> because no, no, you have to understand, like <clears throat> I did not want to cross a line that I couldn't uncross mm -hmm. and doing something secretive like that. You always worries as, as a dungeon master, am I going too far? Am I going to upset a player? Am I going to do that? And there are some dungeon masters that are like, you know what? This is my game. They're participating in my story. If they don't really like what happens, then they can do something to make it different. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make sure that Grace and Jen and Ned were having as much fun as they could possibly have. And I definitely did not want to step on any toes or 
take something away from a player or make somebody experience something that they didn't want to experience. And, you know, I'm, I'm biting my nails here because Grayson, you have episodes of PTSD and here I am putting you on an orcish battleship fighting everyone around you. And I was so scared that that was going to upset you. And at the same time, I had to keep it a secret. So I couldn't ask ahead of time, is it okay if I put you on an orcish battleship and make you fight 20 people all by yourself? And I'm glad that it worked out, but this is part of the reason why I preface saying trusted players Mm -hmm. because you will have players that take that for granted or do something that's not that great with that. Now, after doing 10 episodes with Grayson, Ned, and Jen, I kind of got the vibe that they weren't going to do something that crossed any lines given this opportunity. You know, like if I have Jen take control of Elrhea's character for just a moment, I'm sure Grayson wouldn't have minded, but there was always that possibility that he could have. Well, and, and that's why it's important to, I mean, you, you wouldn't have been able to tell them the exact plot that you were going to lay on them, but if there was uh, something that did cross the line, I think you would have felt trusted to say that uh, in mid-session and be like, okay, can we course correct and go to somewhere more safe? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, and you know, that's that's something that we've talked about a lot here with with lines and veils and how to, you know, keep those communication lines open. Like, it, it, it's a risk. You know, yeah. And the last thing a dungeon master wants to do is retcon a portion of a story because he's upset his players. The whole purpose is for escapism, so that people can have fun. But, but that's not the worst thing, honestly. I just want to reinforce that. That is, that's. I think that's the default. You should do that. <laughs> oh if, no, absolutely. If it's necessary, do it. You know, yes. in case of emergency, break glass. But um, I, I definitely didn't want to do this for that show. Uh, I'm sorry, I definitely didn't want to do that for this show. Yeah. And I'm just so happy that Grayson, Jen, and Ned were my players because I don't know if I would have been able to do that with other players. I certainly wouldn't have been able to do that with my casual group that I'm playing with now because they're a bunch of frat boys and it would not have gone over well. (laughs) But uh, I digress. Yes, well... I, I'm I, uh, Grayson. Did you have any final thoughts there uh, on that story? Before I think, uh, you know, we we have so much to talk about. I feel like there's there's so many lines of of questioning that I want to take here, but we only have an hour. So yeah, uh, anything final to add to there? Yeah, I think I think the only other thing, uh, you know, for for folks who might be in a similar position to where James was in that situation and trying to figure out, do I do this? Do I not do this? I think. I think James handled it really well in that obviously he didn't share beforehand, right? But but did a lot of checking in with us after, right? I think we spent at least 20, 25 minutes talking after as a big group and making sure we were all okay and you know that that no lines were crossed and um you know just really doing that communal care. Um and I think that that's something that would be awesome to see in like general D&D, right? Like to be able to see folks do stuff like practice aftercare together and um, spend time together in ways that are restorative because you you did just, you know, go through a big boss battle or you did just go through 
something that could have been really traumatic together. And so to be able to unpack that and decompress a little bit, I think is, is really important. And we have to remember that like the relationships, right. That we create in D and D like Shelly was talking about earlier, like those cross over into other Mm -hmm. aspects of our lives. And so we can't, you know, bankrupt that emotional bank account with that person that plays that character um, and expect for, you know, the the next session to go well if we're not feeding uh, care and empathy into that space. Absolutely. Good point. Um, I wish more, I wish more dungeon masters did that too. Uh, so, uh, like I said, I love this conversation. There's so much more that we can unpack and, uh, I, uh, really enjoy you describing what's going on with dungeons and diagnoses. Hopefully folks can, uh, take a look at it. Uh, James, you said, and Grayson, you said all the episodes are on, uh, Spotify and able to be, uh, checked out, but, uh, where can people find out more about the Global Healthy Living Foundation, and, and, and you personally. Uh, James, we'll start with you. Right. So the Global Healthy Living Foundation is an international medical nonprofit that raises awareness. And we would like to invite you to go to www.ghlf.org slash podcasts to visit our entire portfolio of podcasts revolving around these communities, including Dungeons and Diagnoses, but not limited to Talking Head Pain, uh, Wellness Evolution, Getting Clear with Psoriasis, and many others pertaining to many other topics of the medical community and those who live with different lifestyles. I would also like to bring up that we hope to get an exciting cast of characters for a possible season two of Dungeons and Diagnoses, which will expose our listeners to even more medical conditions and different lifestyles through the art of storytelling, role play, and character creation in our fantastical universe. I would also like to state that we are looking for a sponsor for that season. So if anyone would find any interest in this, that would be really appreciated. But other than that, we just appreciate your support. If you could go to uh, Dungeons and Dragon, I'm sorry, if you can go to ghlf.org slash podcasts and listen to our podcast, you will see all the episodes embedded there. You can also find us on Omni and on Spotify and on a few other podcast platforms as well. So you can stream them all there. The entire first season along with the extra episode is up now. So you can listen to the entire campaign from start to finish. Exciting stuff. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks you. Thanks you. Thank you, mm-hmm. both of you, uh, uh, Grayson and James, for being on, talking through uh, this podcast, as well as all of the ways that we can all be more empathetic with each other and yep. bring folks from different backgrounds. Uh, like I said, that's that's what D&D does best. And so uh, you, you're, you're, you're doing it well. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks Thank for you. having us. I loved that conversation. There's so much to unpack, right? Yes, and I know I keep saying the word powerful, but that's kind of what it, that is. It just is. And there were several times when they were talking, I got goosebumps. Ah, oh, yes, because it's 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 important stuff. And I think storytelling and Dungeons and Dragons is one of the few outlets where that type of power is palpable. Yes, I totally agree. And I also, I'm I'm not going to just like 
walk to a destination in our D&D games ever again without thinking about what it's like for people who cannot just make that track easily. Like we just like hand wave it. We're like, mm, we're okay, you're off. Okay, you wake up, you're there. Right? No, it's just, it's going to change things for me. It hurts to lay on the ground, even if you do have a bedroll or yes, a sleeping bag. And that's why I don't camp in real life. <laughs> and that's why I have a cot now and an air mattress when and I camp in real mattress. life. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. They didn't anyway. have those back in medieval times. Um, no. But what they Good also stuff. didn't have was websites and social media. So if you want to find out more about D&D, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. You'll get tons of information on where to pick up uh, the basic rules for free, as well as our various adventures and stories. Journeys to the Radiant Citadel is our newest announced book. You can pre-order that now. Uh, but don't forget to pick up Critical Role. Ro- I was going to say Role of the Nether Deep, <laughs> but it's Ooh, Call like of the Nether Deep. Uh, a fantastic adventure set in Zorhas. Zorhas. And other places that we've discussed. Um, if you want to follow me, I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And you can find me at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> the way you sound that, it's like, ooh, Moo, there's but it's several really only two O's. O's. It's just, it's just Moo, M O O. It's not like Kate Welch with, uh, right? with her three H's. <laughs> That's awesome, and let's get to how poor Daryl Two-Shoes is limp in the fist of a giant, huge, gargantuan even doppelganger, and Drunky has banked, grabbed a hold of the flying griffin from the gnome mage, and you're going right towards the fist that is now being lifted up to the large doppelganger's maw. It looks like as if... Uh, they are going to take a bite out of Daryl. I, I'm going to pull out my short sword. I have the reins with one hand and my short sword with the other. That's the sound I make as we're careening towards a fist. Okay. <laughs> what, what's your plan? What, what do you want to do once you get to the fist? I'm going to stab the fist. And, okay. and then I'm telling, Nomi, you make sure that this animal is underneath the fist when he drops my brother. We must catch my brother. My name is Balthazar, not Nomi. <laughs> Balthy, just do this for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah, you you're, you know, again, you've seen the griffin kind of bank with its wings completely out and you're turning and it's going towards the fist. <laughs> uh, there are people and spells flying all over trying to hit this doppelganger without trying to damage the buildings uh, around them. Screams the of buildings. bystanders yeah. trying to get away. You're at the fist and you're, do you want to stop or do you want to uh, go by? Yeah, let's stop. Slow right. so, down. The griffin kind of hovers and you try to stab it? Yes. All right, make an attack. Let's go. 23! Wow! All right, so 23, you uh, stick your short sword into the back of the palm uh, so you're not going to injure Daryl at all, and the doppelganger is right near you. Its face is right near you. You hear it screams in pain, and the the froth and uh, slime shoots out from its face and covers you and Balthazar and the griffin, oh. uh, and it opens up its fist, and... Oh! A limp Daryl is falling to the ground. No! He falls onto the griffin! The griffin was not underneath it in time. Uh, oh! No! 
But we'll pick we... it up next time with what you're going to attempt to do to try to save him as he's sliding out of the fist right now. I'm jumping. <laughs> All right. We will cover that in our next session. Mm-hmm.